Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. If you were walking down the street, you saw a $100 bill just sitting there. Would you leave it and walk away? No, you'd pick it up unless you're some kind of lunatic. Then why, I ask you, do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? What's the point of that? Might as well bet on these winners. Get over to mybookie.ag. Use promo code PANTELUS. Because remember, even if you feel like you made a mistake in the beginning of the game, at halftime, you're like, my team is horrible, they're losing. Bet on their team. Bet on the other team. Forget these losers that you initially bet on. That's what my bookie lets you do. And if you're the type of person that likes to bet just a little, but you like to win a lot, parlay that stuff. Multiple bets. You win them all, bam, you multiply your winnings. Mybookie.ag, promo code PANTELUS. That's mybookie.ag. Promo code Pantelis. My bookie is where you bet, you win, and you get paid. It's time. But think about what you've done in the last 20 years in comedy and who you've represented and how you've worked with them and what you've seen. It's insane, right? Think It's crazy. Who, who can say that? I don't know. I just, I don't think of it that that way i'm sorry i'm hiccuping everybody so <laughs> you're gonna hear me having some kind of gastrointestinal problems here i i've never had hiccups on a podcast before so this will be a true original there'll be a tremendous editing on this podcast yeah. no i don't i don't think that way i i know my place i know my place but i never think that i'm where i'm want to be or I'm supposed to be and I want to focus on being the best representation of myself and I don't look at the, the past so much I, I I will say this that I'm proud of the people that I've worked with I'm so honored that you know to be able to work with you know Dave Chappelle or Bill Burr or Tracy Morgan, Wanda Sykes, Nick Swartz, and love I Nick. Mean, so many. It's just insane the things that I, the people I managed, people that you probably don't even know that I managed, like Mike Epps and Louis Anderson and oh. Andy Dick, and I mean, it's just uh, Bert Kreischer, Jeffrey Ross. Twice we brought the roast to Comedy Central. Um, I co-founded uh, Comedy Dynamics with uh, Brian Voke-Weiss. So I didn't know that. Whitney Cummings was the first uh, ever um, album we did and, and special we did. So a lot of great things. Uh, I feel like I'm Mel Tillis or whoever the stuttering comedian is. But <laughs> It's not that no you notice it more because you're thinking about it, but it's not, um, it's definitely not that noticeable. But I don't, I really don't, think in those terms and maybe I should and I think it's sometimes it's like you're with a wonderful partner whether you're a man or a woman and, or whatever your sexuality is and and you're the person in the relationship who just you know you just don't feel like you deserve it and they're being so great to you then you just you can't believe it 
how wonderful they are to you. They just sit you down and they say, listen, you deserve somebody like me. And so when I think, think about my relationship with the business, I have to say in the quiet times, in the fetal position on my couch or wherever it is, well, maybe, maybe I do deserve the things that have happened in this business, and I'm grateful. Well, it's crazy because I, uh, I do have a tremendous amount of respect for you. Uh, you already know I've already told you this, but it's funny because I'm of the, uh, I guess I'm of a different generation because I don't want to have a, a manager. I've been doing everything myself. Uh, and yet for you, like the amount of respect I have for you, I won't give it to anybody else. But at the same time, I'm so curious because you've had every name in comedy that I respect, I think has gone through you. You've, you've managed them and yet you're no longer with them. What, what did you do, Barry? What did you do to these fucking people? How did that happen? I'm an axe murderer. Is that, is that they caught you setting a daycare on fire? <laughs> no, I think that you'd have to ask all of them individually. I mean, I, I have a great relationship with all of them. With all, like tonight, I was with Hassan Minaj. I represented him for uh, probably, you know, a few years here and there. But then there's people that I represent 25 years, like Jay Moore, 17, like Dane Coker, 8, like Chappelle. Frank Kelly, Frank Kelly, and though ten years, oh, Frank but um, you know that's something that it's a great question, and it's something that's the soundtrack of probably everyone's life and business. Well, why do these things happen the way they do, and why do you, you know, do great work, and your talent is, and their talent mixed together is doing great things, and then you don't stay together. Um, and I think management in my, in my mind is kind of like marriage in that there's great marriages. There's marriages that last forever. You know, Billy Crystal, uh, Robin Williams managed by David Steinberg for, you know, like 40, 40 years. Um, Bernie Brillstein represented Lauren Michaels for a lot of years. And I met with Bernie right before he died, a famous manager, the greatest manager in the world. And he would tell me all the stories. He was always, always so supportive of me. He said, you know, I say, kid, listen, all we have is each other because most of the time they all leave. And it's not a question that they all leave, you know, Every, ma- every manager has an artist that, that leaves and then maybe you're not the right fit at the time or maybe you've, your relationship has gone as, as positively as it can and then maybe they need somebody else to take them to the next chapter and then maybe somebody after that. I just, I just uh, had a podcast mm-hmm. with Angela Johnson. She was managed by Dave Rath for years, and now she's managed by somebody else. It's, it, you know, these things happen. Now, for me, it's more noticeable, I think, because I've broken so many people yeah. with their talent and whatever talent I have. So it has to be said no one's ever picked off that m- a group of probably the best and the most memorable comics of this generation. It's never happened. Who Who's the one guy? That it, it, think about it. It hasn't happened. It's not an exaggeration. It really hasn't. You know, 
the management business, the smart management business, the smart firms, if you notice that they they normally represent people after they've been with somebody. Yeah. Smart agencies, the big ones, they let the, there's other people who get people who cer- certain level they leave and then they go to another place. And, and when somebody leaves an agency, it's like there's really only like four or five agencies in play. So y- when you take the meeting, when you take the meetings, you have like a, you know, a 20% shot of, of getting them. And so there's a lot of great managers out there that represent people. Some of them represent people that I've represented in the past. But I love the fact that, you know, when I go to New York, Chappelle sets aside tickets for me and my sons to see a show. And then afterwards he spends like what seems like hours with us as, you know, throngs of angry people are wait, <laughs> waiting for him. People who I don't even represent. I Something happened the, the other day, not the other day, about s- sometime this year. I'm at a restaurant, and Chris Smith, who's a great personal appearance agent, he says, listen, Cat uh, Williams is next door at the Microsoft Theater, 7,000-seat theater. And I told him, I saw you in the restaurant. He told me to give you these. And I, I opened up the envelope. It's backstage, all access passes, tickets. I said, thank you. He said, I go, he said, afterwards, come down to the, um, you know, the dressing room area. I watched the show, 7,000 people. I'm walking everywhere. It's all excess passes, but I don't want to bother Cat. You know, I, I, maybe he's just saying that to be nice or whatever. After the show, I'm just, you know, sort of waiting in the hallway. And even the agent walks by and says, hey, Barry, let's, we'll be out to get you. And Cat walks by, and he just grabs me. He said, come here, motherfucker. Come inside. I'm like, listen, he, he said, it's a get inside. I walk inside this dressing room. This is like the largest dressing room for It's like the stone in this dressing room. <laughs> I can imagine. And there is every African-American celebrity in there <laughs> that you can ever imagine yeah. and he just walks in and walks in a back door and it closes and i'm looking around i'm standing next to St- Stephen a smith the espn anchor i am the only wh- white guy in the room <laughs> i look like the wagon driver in roots okay <laughs> yeah. i look like a line of c- cocaine on a black album cover yeah they're ready to sniff y'all <laughs> I'm, i am just i'm thinking to myself what am I doing here? I, I you, you know, I'm never going to say hello to him. I don't know why he brought me in here. So I'm, it's about, you know, 10 minutes and I just decide that I'm going to sneak out. I start, I pick up my bag. I start going for the do- door and there's a tap on my shoulder and I turn around. There's this beautiful African-American girl, like gorgeous, like wearing, you know, this beautiful dress and like, like most beautiful woman in the place. And she said, are you, are you Barry Katz? I said, yeah, why? She said, uh, she said, well, I I came to get you. I said, uh, how do you know 
I'm Barry Katz. And she smiled and she said, look around the room. <laughs> I don't think any of these people are Barry Katz. <laughs> I said, well, what do, you, what, do you, what do you need me for? She says, Kat wants to see you. I said, I said, I said, listen, I, I'm next to Stephen A. Smith. I don't want to be. I said, listen, I, I, I'm the least famous person. Nobody knows who I am. I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think he's thinking clear. I mean, why would he want me? Barry, he told me specifically he wanted to see you first. Wow. I said, okay. She takes me this door and she says, open up this door just about six inches and stand there. I open up the door. I'm looking at a toilet. There's a toilet. It's even in the bathroom. This is like his, a king his hand thing. reaches in and grabs my arm and pulls me in and closes the door. And he's in the bathroom smoking a c- cigar. <laughs> I can't do an impression of him, but he's like, Barry, man. Great to see you. I just, I, I need to see you, man. I'm like, whoa. I'm so grateful that you're seeing me, but yeah. I, there, there's a lot of people out there, Cat. He's like, fuck it, man. You're the only one who'll tell me the truth. Tell me the truth about the show. I need to know what you thought of the show. And I said, well, to be honest with you, um, you always have the f- impression up there. You always um, give the audience the feeling and the knowledge that you're giving 100% effort up there. I mean, it's incredible, the show that you give them. And I said, the material was was strong. I said, you did some stuff that was really blue at the end, and, you know, you don't have to do that. Um, you know you don't have to do that, but it works. And um, the crowd loves it, and they want it, and it was like, like a plane taking off, it went from clean to to dirty. So I think you know it was, it was great, and uh, I thought you should be really proud of it. I said thanks, Barry, and I say you know you should. I'll go. We probably should see. He said no, stay here. Just tell tell me something else. I said okay. I'm going to tell you something that I think you'd want to hear. I'm backstage at the Def Jam 25-year anniversary. And that's another thing, you know. People from Def Jam invited me because I, I booked the first the first Def Jam show. I Bill Bellamy closed that show. That's where he did the booty call joke. And, uh, it was with you. It was Bernie Bennett. It was Bernie Mac. Um, it was uh, Martin Lawrence hosting. It was Bill Bellamy and Adele Givens. And I'm doing a side story here, but I think you'll enjoy this. Well. So Martin kills. This is the first Def Jam taping. It's only like half full. It's like they didn't even know what it was going to be. They had an extra comic book just in case somebody bombed, which happened so often. It's incredible. They put Bill on first. Got a standing ovation. Did the booty call joke. He created the term booty call 25 years ago. Is that where it comes That's from? That's where it comes from. 
Adele Givens goes on. There's a heckler in the middle of her act. Yells out, Adele, blow me. And she pauses. And she looks at the guy and she says, look at these lips. Look how big my lips are. Blowing you would be like throwing a whale a tic-tac. The crowd stood up and gave her standing ovation in the middle yes. of her set. <laughs> I love that. Then Bernie, then they put the guy on who was the alter guy, I forget his name, died and booed off the stage. Oh, shit. So that is why I believe, I can't be sure that Bernie Mac opened his show with the famous line, I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. Oh, love that. So anyway, so I'm at the 25th anniversary of Def Jam. Again, I'm backstage. I'm like, where is everybody? I'm like, the I don't even know why I'm allowed back there, but they let me, you know, they're so good to me. And so I told Cat, I said, listen, I was there with Chappelle in the gr green room hallway area. And I looked at Dave and I said, you know, I have to say something. There's a lot of brilliantly talented comedians here. They're all amazing. They've done so many great things. But in my opinion, there's only two geniuses here, Dave. And Dave says, um, who are the two geniuses? Smoking a cigarette. Dave's always smoking a cigarette <laughs> where you're not supposed to be smoking. I said, you, and as I say you, you know how sometimes if you're with an African-American person and you say something that shocks them or makes them laugh, they all of a sudden run in the opposite direction for about 10 yards <laughs> laughing and then they come back and that's what he did. Really? And then I said, but then he calmed down, took another puff of the cigarette and he said, can you tell me again? I said, yeah, two geniuses, you and Cat Williams. And I said, the cat in the bathroom, I said, and you know what Dave said? said, no, Barry, what did he say? He said, I would agree with that. And Cat got up and just hugged me so tight, and he said, ah, oh, I really need, needed to hear that tonight. Now think about that. Think of your audience for a second to think about this. We have a guy who just did 7,000 people in Los Angeles. Okay, 7,000. Standing ovation. And he's in a bathroom and Dave Chappelle calling him a genius was more reward than the money from the gig, the accolades of the crowd, or all the people in that waiting room waiting to talk to him. I could see that. I, as a comic, I, it would mean a lot more to me than, than money. I could tell you that for sure. Yeah. Someone like, like Chappelle. Yeah, and getting back to what you were saying about discovering and finding these people and and, and them getting to the next level. Um, 
I've always I've always had a great eye for seeing something, um, but that I don't know. I don't know if that's talent. If it it might just be intuition, or I, I think somebody would probably shut off the podcast. But almost like part of like a sixth sense or a psychic thing. Like when I f- first met Dave Chappelle, he was eighteen. I'd never seen him perform before, and I just shook his hand, and it was like the movie The Dead Zone. You knew, and I just said, "I want to represent you." I think you're going to be one of the biggest stars in comedy. You're going to win so many awards. You're going to change the face of this business. And you're going to create shows and and moments that are going to transcend the business and people are going to be looking up to you. And And I want to represent you. What do you say? And he looked at me and said, you haven't even seen me perform yet. You haven't seen a video. You haven't seen anything i said i know but i shook your hand and i i feel it and i know it's going to happen and um you know you know i had eight or nine of the greatest years of my life i'll never forget i mean the guy had 400 million dollar movies and you know so many television pilots and so so many great appearances but more importantly just a really, really special young man. And, um, you know, no no one can take those moments away, and, and that's why when I'm with him, he knows. He knows what's going on. He didn't have a manager. He didn't have any manager now. Um, and when he did have a manager, I think he hired th- three arts for a year, and then he stopped it um, because – when I manage somebody, I, I I like to think that I I give everything I have, and I I think that's what's tough about things, the way the world is working now for me, because because of everything that's happened to me with television and film, and the podcast I do in my spare time, Industry Standard, for your for your audience. God, I'm so sorry about the hiccups. Um, this is unbelievable. I've done I've done like probably four hundred <laughs> interviews in my life, and I've never had the. I guess you're an original because you'll there be we the go. One, you'll <laughs> be the one that'll have the. Yeah, the I bring out the best in you. Yes, you do. I feel like an original, but <laughs> but I think you know I started. Um, maybe a lot of people don't know the story. Maybe they'll find it interesting because I think in anything you do, the greatest thing is is that we all have goals and we all have things we want to do and we all know that anything's possible because we've seen it happen. We've seen people go in space. We've seen actors, you know, go in one part for seven minutes and, and become stars. We've, we've seen sitcoms where the fifth lead in the sitcom becomes the, the star We've seen lawyers become become famous. We've seen celebrities rise to the top who we never thought would rise to the top. And we see it in comedies well and and music. And so for me, like I I never I never trained to be a podcast host. I mean I never 
I trained to be a manager and a film and TV producer. That's what I do. And Jay, Mo Jay Moore started his podcast, More Stories. Yeah. And he asked me to be his first guest. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. He said, be in my garage at seven. <laughs> and I said, I'm, I can't do that. I'm not, I don't do this. Be at my garage at seven. I said, Jay, I, Barry. And he hung up on me. So I do his first episode. And, and that first episode is the number one comedy podcast in the wor world that day. Like yeah. 500,000 people listened to me. And that day I did something very risky and bold. And because he, he asked me to, which was to break down the business and his career and the things that he did that I thought were not the right things to do where he complicated winning where he made decisions that hurt him in his career that were right there in front of him. And it was unbelievable. I got so much feedback. And then he asked me to do the third and the 10th and the 18th. And before, before I knew it, like 5 million people had listened to me on this format. And people were asking for me to do a show, do a show. And what was amazing was he was the most supportive of it of anybody i asked everybody in the business like i'm thinking about doing this every single person that i respected said no don't do it you know where the bodies are buried not a good <laughs> idea what happens if it fails what happens if your podcast does better than your clients which unfortunately sometimes hey, it it will. Yeah. um but i did it anyway and i think the pod cast has been so great because i wanted to i take these meetings with these network presidents and i couldn't believe i was the only one that heard what they had to say get in the car drive home like holy shit this is valuable st stuff and um and so i started mine and i'll never forget this my first episode was Doug Herzog, the president of Viacom at the time. And nobody, he had been the president of Comedy Central and MTV and so many networks. But nobody knew him. He wasn't a celebrity. It was a niche, niche show. And Jay calls me. He's at the radio station where he's doing a radio sh show. And he um, so I want you to come over here. And he opens up laptop and he has the itunes ratings and he said look look at this and it was number three in the world in comedy i said jay how, how is that po possible <laughs> no one knows me no one knows any of these people and they said he said barry it's the wild wild west you know it's, yeah. it's like people pass it on he said you're gonna drop like a stone but the fact you started here means you're going to stay in the top 500. You, you can't not. It doesn't matter who launches. Yeah. As long as you give them great stuff, you might not be number one. You might not be, you know, number 200, but you're going to be in there. There's 500,000 podcasts. And I'm like, wow, thanks, Jay. And he says, I love you. And he walks away. 
and I'm in the radio station in that glass area, like just standing there, like what the fuck just happened? <laughs> I can't believe this. Cause he was congratulating me and the podcast was ahead of his. Well, yeah, but it's still, it's amazing. And, and your people, you have to love when your people are doing well, you're his people. Yeah. But this is the fun, funniest part. So I'm just standing there as we all are when we're, sh- you know, those moments where you're just standing there when something happens and you just kind of like, it's almost like you can visualize the director doing the camera, the 360 camera shot around you. I'm standing there and Jay comes back in a minute later, like really quickly, like almost like right after the door closes. It's like Catsy. I'm like, yeah, what, what's, what's up? He takes me by the shoulders. You know how somebody squares yeah. up by the shoulders and looks you in the eye like a Canadian does? And I said, yeah, Jay. He said, uh, you're, not, you're not supposed to do better than your fucking clients. <laughs> and then he kissed me on the back of the neck and walked out. It was like a Fredo <laughs> moment. It was like, that's, that's actually hilarious. <laughs> I like how he reminded you of that. Yeah, he did. It was and you're also a bit of a rebel. I think we're we're men of similar ilk when it comes to that. Um, someone was telling me about how uh, one time some of your, a lot of your clients weren't getting recognized by the festival, so you decided, well, all right, I'm gonna do my own thing. And you had rented out Jimbo's Comedy Works over here. That's when Jim- right. No, oh, no, no, it wasn't Jimbo's. It was uh, Ernie Butler. Oh, Ernie still had. It. Okay, it was the this. Comedy Nest. Yes, yes. The Comedy Nest. That's not, my home club. Not the Comedy Works. The Nest is my home club here. He was amazing, the late Ernie Butler. I yeah. called, I I didn't get any, it was the year year or two after I had Chappelle up here. Chappelle was the first person I brought here. I hope you don't mind me telling you a quick story. Oh, no, I want to know, yeah. So, everything fucks up when I come up here with Chappelle. Flights were <laughs> fucked up. Transportation was fucked up. Okay. Everything was fucked up. And we got to the table, and at the T- table was Maureen Taran, who has been like, you know, a big shot of tr- True TV and worked with me for 10 years, by the way, as a manager. She managed Jim Gaffigan with myself and um, and Debbie. Um, shit. She's now Debbie Sachs, married to Gabe Sachs. I'm sorry, De- Debbie, I forget your last name when you're your maiden, your maiden name. But anyway. So we're at the table, we get our credentials, and we're just calm and nice, and we they give us everything, and they say, um, God, you guys are so nice and so calm. And I said, well, what what, what do you mean? She says, people are assholes who come to this table. <laughs> I said, well, how does the festival handle people who are assholes? And, she, and they both said, um, you see that guy over there by the pillar? Yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, look at his credentials. It's far away. I'm looking. He's got like a shortened, um, what do you call the thing that holds the credentials? Oh, the, the pass here, the... Yeah, what's the thing around? What's this thing called? What is this thing called? I'm not sure. Whatever it is, the rope that, that holds little, that little necklace. That whatever you have the on necklace that. that holds the thing, it's like short. It's like a choker on him. And the, I said, I noticed that short, and the and the and the credential seems like it's twisted to the side. 
hilarious. She said, yeah, what we do for people who are assholes is we have these shortened ropes to the credentials, and then a hole is poked on the corner of the credential. So we all know at the festival, the guy with the short rope and the credential that's turned one way, that's the asshole. That's amazing. So <laughs> it's craziest. Anyway. Uh, good, good to know that I'm not an asshole. No, yours is good. <laughs> so, t- so, so then two years after that, I didn't get anybody into the festival. So I, I call the places around here and say, I want to do this thing Friday, Saturdays, and su- Saturday and Sunday where, where I bring up um, six comedians each night. Different? And different, yes. So we'll have 18 comedians from New York um, here at the festival, and we'll call it New Faces. And Ernie Butler trusted me, believed in me. I told him I was going to bring people in. But before I did it, I called the festival, and I said, this is what I want to do. Are you okay with it? And they said, fine, because they didn't think I was going to do anything. They didn't think it was going to make any difference, you know. So I call all my clients, um, everybody from Daryl Hammond, Jim Brewer, Tracy Morgan, Wanda Sykes, Dave Chappelle, um, Keith Robinson, just you name it, just a who's who of all the young talent, and I don't want to go into all the, the details of it, but, and there were no emails back then. There's no texting. There's nothing. So I stayed up all night, most nights, faxing to the industry, and then in the mornings and the afternoons, calling them and inviting them reminding them and then going back and then faxing. Oh, wow. And then I took out two full-page ads, one in Variety, one in the Hollywood Reporter, and it was like $3,000 each. I I put everything I had into this. And and 250 industry people came, and I got five development deals for my clients, and there was no development deals for anybody at the festival that year. Oh, Except for mine. <laughs> and then I got a call from Disney saying they w- wanted to sign me to an exclusive executive producer deal for them to bring talent to them, which shows. And it was an incredible moment where you bet on yourself. It's amazing. And, and it's something that, you know, your audience, it's hard to bet on yourself. It's scary. Look, I'm gonna as, as I hiccup through this. I'm gonna bear my soul here. You know, when you do, when I do the podcast, I do it in my spare time. Because the things that I do with management and film and television, they're the things that make the money. You know, the podcast makes money, but they're the things that make the money. But. There's a part of me that knows that something special is happening. 
something really special is happening in these interviews. And there's so much wealth of information for people for free um, that is being provided that people are generously giving their time to provide. And it's this battle within me because I know that I can, you give me anybody from this festival. You just, I don't care if they're a, an open mic or new face, a roast battler, or a big star. You give me anybody for a year. And with my talent and their talent, I will change their life forever. And there's very few things that I'm confident about. I could I could count them on half a hand, but you could bring me a homeless person from St. Catherine Street, and I I feel like I have the skill set to get them where they need to go, and um, and that that's what I I love about the podcast because when you manage people, if you can have the greatest moment of your life you know you can get the call that tracy morgan got saturday night live it's a guy living in the projects that you're managing he's fucking living in the projects with four kids and his girlfriend struggling and you tapped into talent with whatever you your skill set is and he gets one of the biggest jobs in the world. Yeah, it's great. You sit down and you're, you're, you're proud. But in the end, you've only helped one person. Yes, I know, you know, if I were sitting with Lauren, it helps Lauren. If I'm sitting with NBC, yes, it helps NBC. And if I'm sitting with the audience of millions that watch them, yes, it entertains them. But on the po- podcast, I get to I get to help millions of people. You know, one hour, one and a half hours, and you know, lunchtime once a week. I get to do something that reaches a lot of people, and and the letters that I get, and sometimes I push it off, like like most of your audience, a, lo- a lot of them push it off. They're like, eh, nah, that's and I'm it's a one off, and, and I'm the same way, and. I think the first time with the podcast, Industry Standard, where I really, I think I finally took the love, took the love. I got a, I interviewed George Shapiro, who's the manager of Seinfeld and producer of Seinfeld. And he sent me a handwritten thank you card, which by the way, for your audience, just so you know, if you don't write handwritten thank you cards to people, please start doing it because it's the greatest thing that you could ever do for your career. And I don't care what you do for a living because rest assured, if you think it's not important, think if you, when you get a handwritten thank you card and think if you ever say to yourself when you get the handwritten thank you card, boy, what a fucking asshole. He's, he's remembering he actually took the time to thank me. A fucking loser. 
never happened. So I get the card from George Shapiro. Thank you, Barry. Had a great time. Uh, I'm getting such great feedback from this. Um, I thought you might appreciate uh, one of the people that reached out to me. And there's an envelope inside the envelope with his thing. I open it up. Dear George, I love your interview on Industry Standard with Barry. I could have listened to it another 10 times. So great. Thank you so much for doing that. It was really important to me. Judd. Judd Apatow is listening to the podcast. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. When does Judd Apatow have time to listen to me? Now, I know Judd, and I've known Judd, but not like, you know, we're like golfing buddies. I've never had breakfast with him. I've never had lunch or dinner. Never had drinks with him. Yes, I've been in rooms with him, and I've been. Um, and so I called him, and I, I said, will you do my 100th episode? And he said, of course. I'd love to. Uh, I thought you'd never ask. And it's like sometimes you just have to just really sit in the fetal position and, and think to yourself, holy shit, maybe maybe I am doing the right the right thing. Yeah. Sometimes you got to sit back and just, we, we are lucky. We're lucky to be in the industry that we're in. Uh, we're lucky to meet the people that we meet. Um, and sometimes it's easy for us to forget that. It's easy to get caught up in the moment and not absorb it and look at the moment and live the moment. There's so many things that happen in the business that happen to be that aren't on the scorecard. Like, I get calls from a lot of young managers who are doing great, you know, Many of them I, I meet with, and nobody knows that I meet with them. And they're with great companies. But I, I love meeting with them because I see a little of myself in them, and I want to help them get to the next level and figure out how to get there. I'm so excited about you know the uh, group of managers that are out there that are doing great things. Um, sometimes you see things during the festival that, that shock you <laughs> about certain managers that are, some are great managers, but they take risks sometimes that, sh that shock me, unnecessary risks. Give you an example. You're at a gala. I'm backstage at the gala's. And there's um, an artist who gets jitsu's, and there's in backstage at every gala and everything, there's a huge television, and the sound's on. And, and this very well-known comedian is on. It's her first time doing a gala. And her manager is just texting throughout the whole performance. Her first in, gala. In a chair right in front of the monitor. Now... She doesn't know that he's texting. She doesn't know that he's not watching. But I know. Everybody in that room knows. But it's like 
It's like sometimes when your best friend cheats on somebody and then they both sit down next to you. They say to you, God, my Joey, isn't he the best? Isn't he the best? He's so wonderful to me. Aren't you, Joey? Isn't he Barry? And you're like, yeah, yeah, he's (laughs) fucking wonderful. (laughs) Because it's something you don't do. So there's, there's, everybody takes risks sometimes in their careers, and sometimes they take risks on the side. And you have to know what's, you know, you have to, as a manager, you have to be always one step ahead. And you ha- have to add value yeah. um, to your artist's career. And there's times when artists are scared to, to leave, even when they know something is happening, because it's familiar to them. It, again, these are like marriages. But a lot of marriages fail. Some last one year, some last 10 years, some last 30, and they disbands some go on forever um but i think we're in a great place comedy is doing great um there's a lot of avenues um like doing this podcast with you is is um is really an an honor because you know i i i was actually watching one of your interviews today um one that you actually sent me that i loved Oh yeah, Robert Sheehan, yeah. Yeah, incredible. And um and you're a great interviewer and you're con- and you're generous and you're calm and you let people do their thing, but you also get a sense of of who they are and 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 that shines and it's a, um it's it's great. And when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, this is this is this is good. Let me just get let me just get some hiccups and then we'll be all set." <laughs> You know what? It's because um, you've seen the festival also evolve, right? We met at the festival last year, and even from year to year, it changes. What do you think of right now? What do you think of not the talent pool in terms of where they're going to go, but how it's changed and the amount of different types of comedy that are in here now? And I'm very big on traditional stand-up. I'm a, you know, I'm a storyteller myself, and I love stand up for being stand up not a character not where do you where do you fit into that how do you see it cuz a lot of gimmicks now well i'm su- i'm surprised you said gimmicks there are a lot though there there are some gimmicks i i've and i know a couple of <laughs> guys that i love but they're it's not tell, traditional why don't you tell me your definition yeah. of a gimmick i so, want to make sure i know you yeah so I, so i like um i like stand up the way I see stand-up comedy, and it could be wrong. It People just could planting be, their feet and doing jokes. I what I loved growing up was Eddie Murphy. Um, so All right, so let's let's just talk about Eddie Murphy for a second. Yeah, and I, I think I I have a rule where I wouldn't say anything. Uh, you know, if, if they were here, I would say the same. Yeah, thing. yeah. So Eddie Murphy, one of the most respected comedy artist of our generation. The biggest hour special he ever did in his entire life. It opened up with the Honeymooners, with Ralph Cramden getting fucked in the ass (laughs) by Art Carney. 
All right. So, and yeah, you're right. I la- laugh my ass off, but in the scheme of the material that most artists would look upon as smart comedy, that wouldn't be the bit on Mount Rushmore, but that's how he rolled out the special. So, Steve Martin, the big, biggest special he ever did, one of his biggest, most popular bits was having an arrow through his head, dancing around ha- ha- happy feet. Okay? Let's go one one step further. The Smothers Brothers... Their biggest thing was musical comedy where they'd sing songs like Crabs Walk Sideways and Lobsters Walk Straight. You know, if we opened up a comedy club, and I'm sorry, let me go one more. Dice Clay, most famous piece of his act, Hickory Dickory (laughs) Dock. The nurse, the dirty nursery runs. Yeah. So all four of these people are on the consensus top 50 list. Definitely. But if you were to put them in your comedy club 30 years ago and you were to put a list of the smartest, well constructed jokes in the world and they went on the smart comics in the back would be smoking cigarettes because you could do that then and they'd just be going what the fuck he's doing a fucking in the ass joke who's this fucking guy with the arrow through his head yeah what's this fucking guy doing with a leather jacket doing nurse drums back then you know, it's like these people broke. I think if they were going on today, I don't know if it w- would happen the same way. The other side of the coin is this. The, wor- the world has changed in all facets. So I hope I don't come across as a creep here. (laughs) Before 25 years ago, if you were a guy who liked to get a ping pong paddle slapped on your calves while you're having sex, be hard to find a group of people who like that. Today, that person who loves to get his calves spanked by a ping pong paddle can find a group of hundreds of thousands of people yeah. that are like, oh, see the, see the definition of my calves? See the redness there? <laughs> yeah, that was a good smack yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. so, and I know your audience is using their imagination on this, but 
everything in that area of intimacy a person can find these days. And they can rally around and, and find their people. So in comedy, that's what's happening today. People who couldn't find their vo- voice, a person who had their voice, can find their voice. So Miranda Sings can find her audience. She might not be your audience. Yeah. Maybe, you know, she's not another person's audience. But she can find the people who love what she does. Jimmy Carr. I love Jimmy Carr. Same, same, man. But, you know, there's people out there who like their comedians huggable and lovable and disheveled and not put together and flawed. Jimmy Carr is... You know, he's got got a real edge to him. He plays up the character of the guy who's aloof. He's well put together. And he's his character is of a superior man and a and almost a superior race. I know <laughs> I know that I know that's what a lot of comedians when they ro- roast him they say. Yeah. <laughs> So he has his people, Bert Kreischer. Yeah, you, you know is, I don't know, you know, I don't know what he'd say he is, how overweight he is, but he's overweight, hairy. Takes his shirt off. You know, is this lovable like you know, Uncle Joe at the barbecue? Yeah, and he has his audience. Never, t- never tells a joke. It's always stories and people love that but then the people who love jimmy carr might not like that very true you know so to me the gimmicks are not gimmicks to me this is a gimmick and you know and look Everybody uses these things to their advantage. You know, if anybody saw the movie A Time to Kill, Time to Kill with Matthew McConaughey, you know, he was a lawyer. He was kind of new, but he had the southern drawl. And there was something with the the jury with that southern drawl. It was mesmerizing. It's like he's talking, he's doing his argument. It's like. Uh, not guilty. I, I, you know, and so when Theo Vaughn or Anthony Clark or Nate Bargatze, hey, how you doing, everybody? You know, these guys have smart material. Yeah. All three of them that I m- mentioned, all doing comedy in various ways now. All very good. But the accent, the accentuation of the Southern accent, it's like lighter fuel to the flame. So if, if that's considered a gimmick, then it's a gimmick. But, but to me, it's a performance piece, and you're acting a performance. You're playing an, a part of a character. 
So, you know, Dice is Andrew Silverman. Yeah. He's not D- Dice, but his character is Dice. You know, Larry the C- Cable Guy is Dan Whitney, but he's playing a character. You're making me look at it from a very different perspective. I like this. So the thing is, is that in music, there's a lot of people who love Barry Manilow. And there's a lot of people listening who are like, fucking Barry Manilow, what the <laughs> hell are you talking about? Well, there's a lot of people like Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, Nine Inch Nails. A lot of people like the R- Ramones, yeah. Green Day, Billy Eilish, you know. Who's blowing up right now. It's like Adele. There, there's somebody for everybody. You don't have to like everybody when you listen this is what I want to impress upon you, what you're saying about the gimmicks. Listen to, just listen to serious radio music station for an hour. And I want you to tell me if you love every song equally. You don't. If there's 12 songs or whatever it is in the hour, there's one that you like the best and there's one you like the 12th best. You don't turn off music forever because there's an artist on the channel that you didn't like the song. You may turn to another channel for that five minutes, but then you come back. And the great part about the festival is you get to see all different things, all different kinds. I was just at the roast battle. Roasting is, it's a separate muscle. Yeah. It's It's like swimming and running. You know, there's a reason why Jeff Ross does every roast. Yes, he's amazing, and I've represented him, I think, three times. <laughs> um, we, we, we actually brought the roast to Comedy Central and sold the roast to Comedy Central, which was so wonderful. That's amazing. Um, That's another game changer. You know that roasting is a game changer in comedy. Yeah, yeah and it, but the genre was there, the Dean Martin roast. And that's the the other thing which we don't look at. You know, people shit on magicians because, well, this guy did the rope trick and this guy did the rope trick. You know, Jeff Ross is doing roasts. Well, so did Dean Martin. And before Dean Martin, there was probably somebody else. So the key is to take, you know, there's a, whatever you're doing and, and for your audience, you know, there, there's a really important thing you got to look at. Do you want to be an innovator? Or do you want, want to be somebody who takes an existing idea and makes it better and puts your spin on it? You look at shows like whatever, whatever sitcom, they, like, like look at Parks and Recreation. Well, when you see Parks and Recreation, you love the show. It's great, right? But when you first watch it, you're like, kind of feels like The Office. They identify something that works. They put their spin on it and they try to make it better. You know, David Copperfield. David Copperfield, who I interviewed, is a genius. He's amazing. But he'd be the first one to tell you, hey, man, I studied Houdini. I didn't invent magic. I didn't invent magic. You go to a restaurant, you know, and you're like, wow, this is a great restaurant. Yeah, well, motherfucker, there's other great restaurants. There's a chef, there's waiters, there's tables, (laughs) and there's ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> but your but your restaurant is more popular than the other one. Yeah. Why? Because you figured out a formula. You didn't spend all your time worrying about the invention. 
You saw the existing invention and you made it better. So all your audience, whatever you want to do, if you're a lawyer, well, yeah, there's a defense attorney who's fucking great. Well, study that motherfucker, study him, imitate him, and do it better than him. You know, we talk about magic. Magic is one of the most shit on things. It really is, eh? It's like, it's like you know, because magi- magicians do a lot of the same things. But a comedian writes a joke, and they create the joke, and they pr- perform the joke. A magician does a tr- d- the trick that they build. They got to fucking build a new instrument. Imagine building a new piano every time time you have to do a new trick to make it original and unique yeah but they still build on the same formulas of the element of surprise and comedy is about the element of surprise comedy is like a horror movie you know we all know the old horror movies where the guy goes out to his car he lifts up the trunk and the trunk is open and he's rustling around his trunk and he closes the trunk and there's the monster it's the same with comedy. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, and then the punchline comes, and it's the surprise of it, and there's all a formula to it. Sometimes you see acts, and they break the formula, and they break the rules, but then you say to yourself, oh, well, God, you know, Cosby told stories. What's great is when you see somebody like Jim Jeff. Jim Jeffries, like, you know, about 10 years ago, he came out with that gun control bit. And you're like, fuck, I never heard anybody do a bit on gun control. Now, I've been doing this a long time, but he took that field and he owned it. And so now if anybody did a bit on gun control, it'd be like, you know, Chappelle, remember that bit he did where he's driving to the projects? There's the baby selling crack. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, who's going to do... There's people who've done jokes about the projects. They're not going to do a baby selling crack, though. But not a baby selling crack. Brad Williams, one of my favorite clients I've ever represented in my life. Nobody like him. It's nobody like him headlining shows, doing specials. You go to see him, you know he's going to destroy the place. And you know you're going to laugh. And you know you're going to understand more about what it's like to be disabled. Um, is that a gimmick because he's, because he's disabled? Is that a gimmick? I don't, I don't think so. Um, but within the disability and within the comedy, there's a formula. There's a formula of the comedy. Like the other night did this great joke on, you know, how every, every wife or girlfriend has a friend that, tries to sabotage your relationship. Yeah, always, yeah. And it's something that we've heard in different incarnations. Like, you know, a guy named Reggie McFadden used to do comedy. He used to have this great joke, how, and, and Bellamy as well, the ugly girlfriend that, that sort of cock blocks. You. Yeah, 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 the linebacker. So there's different formulas of the distraction, the enemy, good versus evil. But Brad took this to such a high level in this gala. And then he ends up, you know, the girl telling his wife that they should do activities together. And so his wife takes him apple picking. And just the visual of Brad (laughs) acting out himself, looking up at the trees. 
is hilarious. Apple picking. It's like Commedia dell'arte where the, they used to wear the masks and it was all. So it's a really beautiful time for everybody to be able to experience whatever that they want. It's impossible to see everything, to know everything. I think the, the most difficult thing for our profession, and I think, uh, again, your audience um, will, I think, appreciate this. The most challenging thing in having comedy being as big as it is right now is when it all comes down to it. If you watch American Idol or The Voice, every year there's standing ovation singers that blow you the fuck away. Even if you hate music and you hate these shows, you're watching somebody go on who's disabled or who's 13 or who's, you know, 67 years old. And they just like, it's insanity how great they are. But in comedy, I'll ask you the question, and I'll ask your audience the question. Name all the geniuses working today in comedy, from start to act to finish their brilliant geniuses. If you can name five, it's a, it's a miracle. Okay, so who are they? And I'm not in, I don't think I'm insulting anybody, but the people who I would put on that list, who are working today in no particular order. Again, geniuses. Somebody who's, people that are just doing a kind of comedy that's so original every bit. Chappelle's in there. So so you got Chappelle. Who's next on your list? Bill Burr. Bill Burr number two. Yeah. Uh, Again, we can't number them. They're all. No, this this yeah. is in no order. This is just, I'm just, this is no order. Jeselnik is doing his own thing. Jeselnik is. Got it. So you, so I just want to just share this with you because yeah. I want to, I want to know for sure in your opinion. And I, I would, I would say this if Anthony were here, because I, I really have a lot of respect for him and I love, I love his comedy. Do you think if Anthony were s- sitting here, he would say that he is a genius and comparable to Burr and Chappelle right he, now? He wouldn't. Okay. Is he still is he still on your list? Yeah. Okay, keep going. Yeah. It's very hard for me to to pick 5 to be honest cuz in reality it's for me it's it's going to be Burr and Chappelle right now. Uh, and I put Jeselnik there just cuz I like what he does with the audience, you know? Now here's where I'm going to go toe to toe with you. Go. And again, I if Anthony doesn't know this, I I love what he does. And I, I love watching him. Same. And I I think that, you know, every year the gear gets higher. And every year he's doing things to make himself better. He's It seems like he's working his ass off to be so great. So I'm, I'm not... This is, this is like, you know, in... You know, if you look in baseball, you know, Pete Alonzo with the Mets. I look at, like, maybe it's wrong to use him as an example, but it's the best thing I can do. You know, Pete Alonzo worked his way up from, you know, getting drafted through the A-ball, double-A, triple-A, got to the majors, and is killing it now. But I'm not going to put 
put put him in a category with Mike Trout, even though his numbers are near Mike Trout or or Mookie Betts, because you you know when I look at the geniuses, I look at people who you know put in their twenty years, and so Anthony is doing something that you actually. I'm sorry to call you on the, but you actually said you were worried about the comedian and you were unhappy with gimmicks. Yeah. So I, I don't see it as a gimmick though. I see it as, I see it. Have you met Anthony in person? Never. Okay. Have you seen Anthony in an interview? Yeah. Okay. Is he the same in the interview as he is on stage? The same person in the, in the interviews I've seen. Yeah. Is that a gimmick? Because you said there's, so you said there's yeah. gimmicks. Well, you know, again, Anthony is, I think, you know, if he listened to this, he might say, well, is, is Barry coming after me? Is he not? No, no, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't I, think that's I, what you're. I, I'm, I'm not. And, you know, I have no problem coming after anybody. But Yeah, but it's but not like, what you're doing what right I'm, now. What I'm trying to say is that I'm talking about, like, the people who change the face of comedy and right now it would only be, it would only be three. If we think of who changed it for me, in who, my perspective, or who is it would be, it would be Chappelle bird for me and Seinfeld. Seinfeld changed a lot for everyone. That's um, right. And, and I, I want to pick more. There's a lot of people I like, but in terms of changing everything, those three are the ones for me that are working right now that did it. Now, if Eddie Murphy does actually come out of retirement, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna add somebody else to your yeah. list. I'm gonna add Chris Rock to your list. Oh, I did forget Chris Rock, but Chris Rock did also change. So, I, I keep forgetting so, that he's still working. So, so that's that's the four, four, and the fifth one that I'm gonna put on if we're gonna do the Mount Rushmore of comedy. Yeah. Let's just do it. Of Mount Rushmore of of working, working comedians right now, not comedians who might be retired or. Or passed away. No, because then Carlin Pryor yeah. and Bernie Mac would be up yeah. there for me. So the person that I think is in the process of changing the game and is the closest, and I think, you know, Anthony Jeselnik is somebody who is on his way and is do, doing the right thing. But I'd say the person that's, that's, that's nipping, at the heels of those four is Jim Jeffries. Really? Yes, in my, in my opinion. Because I think that Jim, uh, the writing and the performing and the bold choices, um, I, th- I think he has no fear whatsoever. Now, I know what you're saying, Barry. None of these guys have any fear. But... You know, you know the subject matter that I think Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, and uh, Chris Rock, I think that they would say that Jim Jeffries is in their category. I would go. I would go. I would. I would bet on that. And I, like I said, I've been around a long time. Yeah. Um. Jim is the kind of guy who, you know, feels like he takes risks personally, feels like he takes risks professionally. Um, but there's something about him that's deaf. I mean, when you 
see a guy reenact the murder of the model that Oscar Petoric, you know, shot in the chest, and he's dragging himself across the stage and writing jokes about a murder scene and has spending 10 minutes talking about that, a guy who's a double amputee, who's, who's, who's doing stuff on world events and recreating the piece and writing great jokes with it. I was talking to the guy, uh, Bill Blumenreich, who uh, owns the Wilbur Theater in Boston. Boston is a market in the world that's an, an anomaly because, um, you know, acts draw so much more there than anywhere in the world. There are over 200 stand-up comedians that can sell out the 1,100-seat 1100 seat, 1100 seat Wilbur Theater over 200, and some, like Bill Burke, can sell it 19 times in a row. Wow. Some, you know, one, but still, they do it. And all these comedians have different lanes. Some are YouTube stars. Some are breaking through, like Miss Pat. Miss Pat's doing great. Yeah, some are um, people that have been around a long time, like... Um, and have done great things in their career. Like, like Angel, a Colin Quinn. Yeah, Colin Quinn. Uh, and some start off slow and then they start s- selling. So the audience doesn't care who's a genius and who's not. In music, they care if they move us. Yeah. No one listens to music when it doesn't move us. But people will listen to comedy that doesn't move us. You know, they just want to be, they've had a hard week. They just want to fucking be entertained. Let's laugh together. Let's laugh together. Let's have a good time. And you'll, a lot of times you never, this is the most common thing you hear from people who are listening to this podcast. Hey, I went to a comedy show. The other, it was really great. There was this one guy that was fantastic. He was so great. Oh, so funny. Oh, really? Uh, what was his name? I, I don't. I don't remember his name. Oh, well. Well, could you tell me one bit that he did? I. Uh, I don't know. He just did some great stuff. There was one <laughs> thing on a bar barbecue that was really good, and. Uh, well, can you just tell me what he looked like? Uh, yeah, he had blondish, brownish, reddish hair. Uh, and he was about six feet tall. So funny, that guy. They remembered the feeling. But he remembered the feeling. You see a musical artist, immediately you remember the the name who it is, the lyrics, the lyrics, you look it up, you're saying the lyrics over and over again. It could be like, and this is what's weird about music, even songs that don't have a message, the musical artist can still blow away with their talent and their voice. You look at London Grammar, the biggest hit they ever had was a song called Hey Now. If you're 
audience wants to look up the song and listen to it, you're going to be blown away because the girl's voice is insane. But then look at the lyrics. You'll see Hey Now about 27 times. But the talent overrides the fact that the words aren't there. In comedy, the talent, you'll remember the geniuses, but you don't remember the people who aren't doing the right thing. And so the people who are making it in comedy, those 200 people, they're characters of the game of our profession. And they rally around it. So it's like, oh, let's go see Jay Farrow. He does the impressions. Okay. Let's go Amy Schumer. Let's see her. She talks about relationships between men and women. Let's go see Caratop. He does those great jokes with the props. Let's go see Louis Anderson. He talks about family. Let's go see Bill Burr and let's see who he's going to take that edge out on. Let's go see Chappelle and let's see him talk about race relationships and how they work in the world. Let's go see Jim Gaffigan and let's get that mid, mid Midwestern, another guy I represented who I loved. Uh, he's a nice guy, him. Brilliant guy. So everybody has their lane. But in the end, you have to have the things in your routine that blow people the fuck away. And that's what's missing from most stand-up comedy routines. Things that you just see and you can't fuck believe. Where did this person come from? And... And that's what you want to see. And the the reason why a lot of comics use, and you call it a gimmick, but rally around a part of their personality that they see as an original thing that people will remember, it's subconsciously doing it, you know? Yeah. Kreischer wants the the lovable every man because how many lovable every mans are out there in in comedy? Jim Gaffigan wants to be the Midwestern family guy that really has the, you know, talks about the values and how things are. And that's it. You know, Brad Williams wants to be a guy who's killing it and being a voice of people who are able-bodied, but also a voice of people who are disabled. Um, It's like that's what they're bringing to the table, and that's the thing that's helping them get to to where they want to go. And if they just stood there and planted their feet and did comedy, if they're going to do that, the material has to be so... Credible, like Dennis Miller. Now, I will say this, Dennis Miller, genius. I mean, the Dennis Miller that I knew, you know, those albums and those specials and the television show. 
you know, I would put him in a category with all the people I mentioned. The only reason I don't have him there is because it's, it seems like it got away from the stand up and now more into more of a political thing, which is yeah. very polarizing. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that we, we, comedians need that if they don't have the really incredible material and how many people have it where every joke is like, holy shit. I can't fucking believe what I'm seeing. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's the weird thing about our business. The most popular time in comedy without with the, the fewest amount of ge- geniuses. Thank you so much. Thank you much. so much for doing this and staying up, Barry. You have like, no idea. I know, I know that it's a pain in the ass, but I appreciate it so much. 3.30 in the morning, well worth it. I just hope your audience can get through this. I know my voice is like... Uh, uh, no, it's like a, it, it's like a sleeping pill. With with no, no no with any luck, they're not listening to this at three in the morning, so they're gonna be fine. And I want everyone to hand out there who hasn't listened to Industry Standard and understand that there's a reason why it's one of my favorite podcasts, and that uh, they should get on it if they're not already subscribed. And apart from that, thank you so much, Barry Katz. Thank you, truly. I am so grateful, and I've learned a lot about myself, <laughs> and I have learned a lot about you, and I'm gonna. T- Take it with me. And this is an interview I will remember. I'll always remember this interview. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.